in your face. I am honoured to be joined by Yanto Ware, who has written a wonderful book called Mother and I, about his life with his mother, Dimity Ware. Uh, They were living in Adelaide in the 80s and 90s. She was a single lesbian mother, and it's so wonderful, Yanto, to talk to you during Lesbian Visibility Week. Wonderful. Yes, thanks. It's a great book. I read it yesterday. It's a a moving book. Um, Tell us about your mum. Um, She was unique. I think, you know, after she died and I started writing the book, how unique she was became quite striking, that they were not... This was sort of, you know, 1980 when I was born, homosexuality had only been legalised for five years, no-fault divorce had only been legal for about eight years. So there were not a lot of um, queer mothers. There was a really strong uh, social stigma against single mothers, she had other things happen, so she had um, had a kidney transplant in 1976 and almost died. Um, and I think that was sort of part of how she approached life and, and approached having a child, is that she'd come so close to dying, she'd been forced to sort of think about what was going on with her life, realised that she had got married because she thought that's just what you did. So she got married in 71. She didn't realise there was an option. Um, she got involved in women's lib kind of begun to meet lesbians and thought, okay, I think this is this is something I relate to. And then I think was a bit afraid of it until she had this near-death encounter and then just thought, like, why am I pretending I'm a heterosexual? Got pregnant with me about a month. She got pregnant with me, I think it was the last encounter she had with heterosexuality. She realised she was pregnant about a month after she left my father. Um, her doctor said, because she had a kidney transplant, don't have a kid, it'll kill you. She kind of ignored them, had me anyway. And then, yeah, grew up in a pretty, um, a, a not great kind of classic conservative working class suburb outside Adelaide. But she cr- created this oasis, didn't she? Because she loved mm. plants. And so you lived in this incredibly almost enchanting kind of, you know, garden, uh, you know, full of trees and pets. And um, you kind of yeah, blocked out yeah. the homophobia of the of the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that the neighbours hated it. But, you know, it's one of those suburbs where everybody just had lawn. So the whole street was just these really kind of dry, dead, neat lawns. And then there was this house where... There was no lawn. She planted oak trees in the front yard. Like you couldn't really see the house in the street because the the foliage was so thick. Which I think was partly like it, it did make us feel safer, like being in this weird little oasis. But I think it was also just a kind of resistive act. Like the suburb was so um, conformist and repressive that it was a sort of a way of yeah annoying everybody. I loved your mum's politics. I mean, she taught in disadvantaged schools. She really taught, you know, outside the square, if you like. She hated, you know, um, colouring in and, you know, all of those kind of, you know, repressive, yeah, yeah, kind of things. She thought outside the square and really kind of, you know, felt that kids needed that to to grow. You've got a a doctor of English literature. Uh, You've done all kinds of amazing things. Do you think that having a mum like that kind of helped you to think outside the square? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, I don't know if I'm as good at it as she was, but I think like one of the wonderful things about growing up with a queer parent, I think one of the wonderful things about growing up with a single mother is that you, to a certain degree, grow up outside of patriarchy. Like, it, and that's quite nice. That's quite a good way to grow up because you don't, I think especially if you're a boy, you don't grow up with that sense that there is a way you have to be and you just have to accept that identity and accept you're going to live a certain way. It was very, very positive. The and I think a lot of 
um, single parents, single mothers, queer parents get told that their kids are going to grow up to have something wrong with them. I found it was the contrary. It was it was a great way to grow up. The issues were all when I had to sort of go out into the patriarchy and start dealing with it, and that was a bit confronting. It's interesting because there's a section in your book where you reflect on someone saying to you, have you ever met a family like yours? And, of course, the answer was 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 no. So in lots of ways, you were living the queer family life before rainbow families were coined. Yeah, yeah. I've never met anybody from a queer – a child from a queer family older than me. I know they're out there, but, yeah, there's not there's not a lot of us. And you look back at the experience of it at that point – it was pretty repressive. It was pretty hard to have that kind of family, especially I was born before IVF was available. I would like to think it's got easier and that people have um, more freedom to have that kind of family and they have more kind of idea of how you can have that family and it'd be a really positive, happy thing. But, yeah, that wasn't around when I was growing up. So I, I think I've become more grateful writing the book and thinking about it, how much my, my work my mother put into building that environment for me. And she left, I think, a great legacy for you around parenting as well, because you've kind of, you know, I guess, taken all those really great bits from queer parenting and have been able perhaps to kind of, you know, use them as a parent yourself. I hope so. I mean, my son's only um, 14 months old, so, you know, I might I might stuff him up yet. I might do a terrible job. But so far, it does seem, yeah, it's almost like I feel like I've got a bit of a compass there about how not to get sucked into some of the ideas about how you're meant to raise a boy and how you're meant to be a father. And I often find myself sort of thinking back on how my mother would have approached things as a guide. Yeah. So you must kind of, you know, feel really comfortable around the queer community. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've grown up to be a pretty bland heterosexual man, but yeah, probably more so than, I mean, it is a pretty welcoming community. Like, it's, it's I've always found it a very welcoming community. This idea that there's, like, feminazis and, you know, butch lesbians out there who hate men, I've never really seen it. I think it's just, like, there's a... If anything, I find the queer community is probably more welcoming than a lot of other parts of the community. I think it's, like, a community that has historically dealt with a lot of shit and has had to deal with a lot of being excluded and has turned that into some really positive values that the rest of us could probably kind of pick up and carry on. Your mother must have really shaped your politics uh, and given you a very egalitarian sense. Well, I mean, she was pretty pretty good socialist as well, and also my grandparents, because I think they, they'd grown up in a kind of weird sort of Methodist cult. You know, there's a lot of, like, Methodist um, working class, you know, so that sort of grimness in Adelaide, um, and they broke away from their church when they were, like, 15, 16, ended up sort of becoming atheists and were maybe not, you know, overt socialists, but had that kind of politics. And you can see that running through my family. And it, it was it was a good way to grow up. Like, I think it helped offset some of the material kind of wants because you had this way of contextualising it and thinking about it and not um, assuming that everything was your own fault. I loved reading about your grandparents in the book, you know, the fact that they kind of, you know, build a house in the forest themselves that your mum mm. and her siblings grew up in. But also I loved your grandmother in particular. Um, there's that great kind of scene that you recount in the book when your mother came out to her and gave her, gave her a pamphlet on having a lesbian daughter. And she said, I don't need a pamphlet to, to, to have a lesbian daughter. You know, have you got a pamphlet on having a, a tidy daughter? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had a lot of clashes because my mother was incredibly messy and my grandmother was 
very, very clean. But my grandmother's pretty amazing. Like she's ninety she's ninety four. She still lives alone in the house that they built when they were in their late teens. And yeah, just kind of I think almost sort of intuitively understood progressive politics and that people have a right to decide who they want to be. So when my mother came out, it's like, well, you know, it's your job to and your right to make decisions about who you are. And was she was very supportive. Did you call your mum mother as you were as you were growing up? When I got into my teens and my early 20s, it kind of became like a bit of a jokey term, like I would call her mother. When I was younger, I called her you know, mum and mummy. But yeah, it became this sort of, I think I kind of like the formality of it, this idea that this sort of, um, you know, a pretty poor, kind of working poor family, that we would have this kind of formal way of speaking to each other. It's interesting because the house did really seem enchanting. Uh, it must have been a great place to grow up. It must have been, you know, really fertile for your imagination. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the soil was, was incredibly fertile. She spent a lot of time getting the right mixture of mulch and you know leaf muck in there, and it was a wonderful place to play. Like it did, you know, like she didn't sort of say, "Oh, you can't go in this part of the garden, or you can't do this." So I would go out and dig massive holes and build castles and do all this kind of stuff. But there also wasn't really anywhere else to go. Like the rest of the neighbourhood was just roads and, you know, suburbs. Um, and I wasn't into sport, which I guess would have been the only other kind of social activity out there. So, yeah, it was very, yeah, it was very weirdly fortunate. I don't think people should have given enough credit to people like my mother for how inventive they are and how resilient they are in the face of yeah, circumstances that aren't always that great. Did you find that living in that house, on reflection, do you think that's what made you such a great writer? She was very encouraging of me doing any kind of art or writing. And I think she was quite literate. Like she'd done, went back to college when she was a bit older and did courses in life writing. And my family, my grandmother's a very big reader. Like she still reads a lot. So there was always this sort of encouragement. I think probably either she or my grandmother in different circumstances would have been the ones writing books. But, yeah, you know, they, that wasn't something that their circumstances ever allowed. So when I started doing it, um, they were very supportive. It was almost like it was good to see somebody in our family kind of get to a point where they had the cultural capital and the time to sit down and write a book. Um, my grandmother, I, I sent her first copy, and I thought I didn't hear from her for a while, and she's not she's she's lovely, but if she disapproves of something, you know about it. And then I got a call from her and she had loved it. She really enjoyed it, um, found it quite emotional. And it was a great relief. It's a great relief to know that she had enjoyed my writing. How do you think your mother would view the book? How do you think Dimity would, would, would view our mother and I? I started talking to her about it when she was still alive. Because initially I started writing this book thinking it was going to be kind of a light comedy. And then... Um, yeah, after she died, I hadn't finished it. I sat down and sort of effectively rewrote it from scratch. But I think she was quite excited about the idea that, you know, we would have a book documenting what it was like being, you know, a queer family in the in the 1980s, especially you know, the rest of her life had been taken up listening to sort of negative portrayals of what it was to be a queer woman and a, a single mother. So the idea of, yeah, there being a positive portrayal out there of us actually getting to tell our own story rather than having it sort of told to us by conservatives and you know, sort of some of that kind of political right wing. She was very encouraging of it, yeah. 
she was a great activist. Just, you know, she lived her life as an activist, you know, just by raising you and living in that environment and being in that neighbourhood. Um, it was very much an activist. She was a natural activist, a rebel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you kind of had to be, I think, if you came out in 1980 and if you decided to be a sort of unrepentant single mother in 1980, you sort of had to have a pretty strong sense of activist politics. And you know, when we had a funeral, we had all the other, all of the friends were there. You know, so this is women who were coming out before it was legal. Um, yeah, they're they're strong personalities who are used to having to fight for their rights, and they they were yeah quite, and they were inspiring, and also inspiring in the sense they'd not only done the things they'd done, but most of them had stayed pretty happy about life. They they had a very um, upbeat, optimistic way of looking at the world that often seemed out of sync with some of the. The, the struggles they'd had to go through. You mentioned comedy. There's some great comedic scenes in the book, especially later in your mother's life when she was washing her feet in the salad bowl. I loved that. <laughs> and how she um, kind of went back to her kind of like childlike state almost, you know, in, in her final weeks as well when she was dropping rubbish everywhere. Yeah, I mean, she dropped rubbish everywhere all through her life. She was very, <laughs> you know, she, I think she kind of viewed, you remember there's like a, the, there was a movement against housework in the, like, the, factions of socialist feminism in the 70s. And she really took it to heart. She thought housework was the most stupid thing in the world. She didn't understand why anyone would do it. And when she was, as she got older, she just became less and less, you know, apologetic about it. So she was just, yeah, created chaos. It was great. Yento, what's next for you on the writing front? Um, So I've had a son and kind of become almost the polar opposite of my mother, like a kind of heterosexual man in in a nuclear family. And then I've taken a lot of the learnings from her life and me writing about her into trying to be a a decent parent. So I think I'm going to, I'm trying to write a book on that, like almost a sort of a follow on about, you know, how I've tried to take her values into parenting. Yento Ware, Mother and I, is a fantastic tribute to your mum. It's a great record of your life in the 80s and 90s with her. Uh, It's really wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today on 3CR. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. 3CR.